Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning, Movement Church. Man, you chose the right Sunday to be here. We're in week two of our series called Assumptions. Everyone say Assumptions. And this is a series about relationships, period. Whether it's a husband and wife relationship, brother and sister, best friend, employer to employee, neighbors, coworkers, whatever it might be, this is a series I believe that all of us can take away some practicals in the relationships that we walk through in our regular everyday life. So here's the definition we're pulling from for this series. It's uh, it's, uh, literally this, it's something, assumptions is something which I accept as true or certain to happen without proof. And we do this in a regular basis. We make assumptions that I know what it is you are thinking. I know why you said that. I know why you got home late. I know why you didn't text back. We make assumptions that we're on the same page, even though we love each other or have a great relationship. We make assumptions all the time. And look at what Proverbs chapter 11, this is our theme verse for this series found in the Passion Translation. It says this, when you act with presumption, convinced that you're right, don't be surprised if you fall flat on your face. Look at the next passage says, it says, but walking in humility helps you to make wise decisions. Uh, by the way, my name is Carrie. I jumped right. I assumed you knew who I was. I'm one of the pastors here. My wife was not up here earlier. That was Pastor Joe. He's not my wife either. Although he did look stellar in a Red Sox jersey for a Yankees fan. He lost a bet. That was pretty fun. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Don't miss a Sunday. And if you do, don't miss a podcast. We're taking a multifaceted approach to this series today, or this, this entire series, not a linear one. And our hope is that together we can begin to eliminate the, the pattern of assumptions. And, and the reason is, is because I believe that darkness it has room to move within assumptions. And we want you to have healthy, awesome relationships, no matter what they are, no matter what they look like. I believe that God can really work in and through everything that you're walking through. So can we pray and dive into this today? I've got some serious stuff I want to unpack. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we just thank you that you're here right now. We thank you that you're moving in and through us. We thank you that you have a great purpose for us. And so today, God, I pray you help open our ears and our hearts to hear and receive all that you have to say and all that you want to do. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. that just means I Agree. And listen, if you weren't here last week, in week one, we talked about the anatomy of an assumption, like how we respond and how it takes place in four parts. I unpacked this last week that we see and hear or experience something. And then after that, I tell myself a story which conjures up feelings, and then I react based upon my feelings. Let me give you an example of exactly what I mean. Not too long ago, Megan, my wife, and I were on a road trip. I think we're going to either Phoenix or Los Angeles. I don't even know. It was a long road trip, and I was hungry, and I said, babe, do you have anything to snack on? So she rummaged through her purse. How many know you never know what's going to be found 
in a purse. And she pulls out a Laura bar, right? Which already is not exciting, but I'm just grateful because I'm hungry. And I said, is it still good? It's been in the abyss of your Mary Poppins bag for who knows how long. And she said, sure, it's fine. Didn't even look at it, by the way. Just said, it's fine. And I was like, no, is it good? Is it still okay? To which she replied, it's fine. You know what I'm talking about? That fine, like that zinger, it's fine. And I took it and I did what any responsible adult would do. I checked the expiration date. That sucker expired six months earlier. So I saw, heard, and experienced something. And then I told myself the only reliable, real, obvious story. And that is that Megan is trying to kill me. With salmonella and E. coli simultaneously. That makes sense, doesn't it? So, now listen, I know it sounds silly, but you do this, you do this every day. The only difference is the story is told by you in language and context that only you understand. It sounds silly to everyone else, but not to you. So last week we unpacked the anatomy of an assumption. Today, I want to unpack its genesis. I want to unpack why we assume. Have you ever been in a car full of people passing an automobile accident and and everyone in the car has a different experience? You got that one person who says, we got to call the ambulance and the police to make sure there's help is on the way. Then there's that compassionate soul who's saying, oh my, I hope everyone's okay. We should pray right now. Then you got people like me thinking, that guy was an idiot. That sign was clearly posted. Why did he, you're judging me. I can feel you right now. How many of you think that way, right? When we experience something, we have many tools which we uniquely paint the picture which only we can see. You, when you experience something, you have tools in your tool belt which paint the picture which only you can see. I want to look at three of them very quickly today before we move on. Number one is your wiring. Your wiring. And this is your personality. It's how you are wired. This is how you process things, whether it's progress versus process, task versus people, whether you're an internal processor or an external processor. But there's another way that you actually experience things, and that is your wounds. Everybody say your wounds. And this is how your past experiences have had a profound impact or hurt or caused you pain, and primarily earlier on in life. Now, both wiring and wounds have a profound impact on the picture that you paint and the story that you tell yourself. Or let me say it this way, wounds and wiring are like tracks for a train. They run side by side, but there is an actual engine pushing this train forward, and that is the third thing that helps paint a picture, and that is our worldview. Now, if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, the, the role that Christ plays in your life should have a profound impact in, on a day-to-day basis. If you're not sure what you believe, permission to belong before you believe. But if you're here and you say, I'm a Christ follower, then your worldview is a Christian, Christ-centered worldview. But how profound of an impact he plays in your life actually affects the story which you tell yourself. Let me put it to you this way. The lag time between the promptings of Jesus and my obedience... How centered is my life on Christ? And helping you arrive on a Christ-centered worldview is our goal as a church. That's why we exist. And while that is the end goal, it's not my focus today. Today I want to literally pull back the curtains and take a chance 
and, and focus in on our wounds. More importantly, how our wounds affect the story that we tell ourselves. So let me put it to you another way, how our wounds paint the picture of my assumptions. The bulk of our time today, I'm going to unpack different types of people who are seated in this room right this very minute. And this is going to be based on a personality assessment referred to as an Enneagram. I've got some resources that are provided for you, but you can only get them if you actually text the word notes and follow along. I'm not giving to you anywhere else. I want to make sure you follow along. Let me tell you why, because I'm going to unpack so much stuff right now, but it's going to be so amazing. You're going to leave thinking this guy was even better than I thought he was. (laughs) I'm going to give each of these types a different name. And here's what I want to ask. I want you to explore which type you identify with most. And you're going to be tempted to also explore which type you think your spouse or your neighbor or your friend identifies with. And I want to just tell you, caution you, please be careful because I'm merely going to scratch the surface of something that needs great deal of exploration. And if you're not careful, without exploration, two things are likely to occur. Number one, you'll allow a few thoughts or statements which I say or you read to literally surmise who you are. You'll say, yep, that's who I am. It's who I've always been. Nothing can change. That's one danger to this if you don't actually spend some time exploring. And the other component or the other challenge would be that you'll weaponize this and you say that's who you are I knew it pastor Kerry proved me right you are a knucklehead I don't even know why I'm married to you no don't do that so if you're going to explore this look at me go for it go for it I want you to just text the word notes to the number on the screen there's a lot of content like have you ever eaten or from a fire hydrant it's about to go down. You're going to want to follow along. Are you guys ready for this? Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, here we go. Number one, the first component I want to talk about today to see if you identify is the reformer. The reformer. Let me explain a couple of characteristics of the reformer. You're strong-willed, justice-oriented, and you're willing to make a stand for what you care about. You're honest and ethical, intense, reliable, thorough, hardworking, living with high ideals. You can tend to come across to others as a little rigid, highly self-controlled, and just a wee bit aggressive. Let me give you the, the biblical counterpart for the, the, the uh, reformer. It's Paul, the Apostle Paul, who turned from being literally a judgmental Pharisee into becoming a man willing to suffer extremely for the cause of Christ. Now, let's talk about some of the challenges if you're the reformer. Are you ready for this? You can tend to be consumed with being right to the point of becoming a perfectionist. You probably see yourself as right. If you're that, you're thinking, yeah, I am. I am right. I have some of you are laughing right now. I'm always right. And you're trying to fix what's broken in the world, but you can't see what everyone else's problem is anyways. Anybody identifying with this already? And here's the challenge. You can often project perfectionism. And others will feel judged even when you don't say a word. Now, let's look at your childhood. What has shaped some of the wounds in our life. This could be, if you're a reformer, this may have be a picture of what your childhood looked like. Look at this. Reformers as children were rewarded for being good and excelling and felt heavily criticized, punished, or not good enough. They were often the hero child, the golden child who did everything right to help out their parents. And they hoped that their being good 
good would hold their family together. As such, they became obsessed with being good and not making mistakes. The principal message is this, that you must always be better than you are. Or the conclusion arrived on is I'm nobody or I'm nothing if I'm not perfect. And all this paints a picture of the wounds in our life which impact the way that we tell stories to ourselves. Look at this. So how do we actually begin to remove the pattern of assumption? Are you ready? Write these things down. Number one, engage in listening without so much evaluation and judgment. If you're the reformer, hey, listen, own your anxiety and your fear. Just acknowledge that it's real. And and, and honestly, that life is at times messy, including my own. Here's a couple healthy attitudes to adopt. Maybe others are right. Some of you had a hard time even just hearing that statement. (laughs) Maybe someone else has a better idea. Here's another one. Maybe I've done all that can be done. Let's look at type two, the helper. Write that down, the helper. Service is your middle name. You love giving to others, and as long as you're healthy, you don't need attention to do so. Affirming, unselfish, and sacrificial, your caregivers interested in people and in nurturing, you are a loving person. No one ever said that about me. You're a loving person. Here's your your biblical counterpart. It's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And all of you are like, yeah, that makes sense. I am much like Mary, the mother of Jesus. (laughs) Willing to serve God at a large cost herself, but to the ultimate glory of God. So here's the challenges if you are a helper. You can become consumed with your loving self-image to the point of codependency and burnout. I am, after all, the rescuer. Focus on wanting to help and please everyone else so much so that you lose sight of your own needs. Let's look at maybe your childhood, what it could have been like. Perhaps you got approval for helping and giving and not asking for much in return. You were low maintenance. Often there was a role reversal where you had to become the parent in the family, holding things together. They learned that being pleasing and altering themselves to meet others' needs was a good way to survive. And they came to believe that their own needs wouldn't be met until they first met the needs of others. The conclusion, listen to this, I'm nobody unless somebody loves me, and I'm somebody when I'm needed. So how do you remove the patterns of assumption if you are the helper? Well, recognize that your sense of self-worth is anchored in Christ, not in who you can help and what you can do and not how well you meet others' needs. And listen, it's best to listen and provide honest feedback. But if you're the helper, just know it's not your responsibility to fix me. The front row is in danger of my spit here. We're so close. Here's some healthy attitudes. Maybe he or she is actually already showing me love in their own way. Let's look at number three. Are you ready? The achiever. Most Americans can tend to fit into this category. The achiever. You're very adaptable and driven, and they enjoy motivating others to greater heights of success. A get-it-done person, practical, energetic, and popular. Do you already feel excited? Active and dynamic, multifaceted, organized, and self-assured. You are driven and success-oriented. America. Sometimes to the point about caring more about how you appear to others than you should. 
but you are faithful and focused. Let's look at your biblical counterpart, Moses. That's a good one right there. Moses. Now, although he cared too much about how he looked to others, he actually ultimately obeyed the Lord and helped his people. Here's some challenges that you may face if you are an achiever. You're very self-conscious about your image, and you like to be seen in a good light. And the pitfall for the achiever is superficiality. That sounds like a Mary Poppins song right there. Superficiality or vanity. You're not so much interested in the image of success because of the power it gives you, but rather because you fear that if it, without this image of success, you would literally become nothing. Image seems to be everything. And you can tend to feel empty at your core, fearing that you have no real value. Why? Because you've only learned to pursue the values that others get rewarded for. So if you're the achiever, here's some things that you may have experienced in your childhood. They got approval for their achievements. Their worth was derived from what they did instead of who they were. Performance and image were rewarded in place of personal disclosure and emotional connections with others. Looking good, getting ahead, Being successful were all emphasized in their family. And so becoming adaptable helped them survive. Are y'all tracking with me today? So here's some ways if you're the achiever to remove the patterns of assumption. Listen to this. Be mindful of the temptation to be manipulative, which will be extremely difficult if your image could be perceived negatively. Here's a couple healthy attitudes Are y'all ready to take a deep breath? This is hard for the achiever. Maybe I don't have to be the best. Somebody just literally threw their coffee down. Like, that's foolishness. Maybe people will accept me just the way that I am. Hey, right here. Maybe others' opinions of me aren't quite so important. Let's look at number four. Y'all ready? The individualist. The individualist. You feel deeply and emotions are central to your experience. You value originality, authenticity. I don't know why you do this, but you do individuality and artistic expression. You read the moods and the feelings of others with precision and are extremely sensitive and creative. You are highly expressive. I'm just a scotch dramatic. You can't tap neighbors. I saw somebody tapping somebody in here. You desire to make the world more beautiful. Let's look at your biblical counterpart. It's pretty awesome. King David, a man after God's own heart who literally expressed the feelings, his feelings openly and wholeheartedly to God in the book of Psalms. Now let's look at some of the challenges. If you're the individualist, you love just a little bit too long. And yet you're often sad after you possess something, so you're never quite satisfied. You exaggerate your moods, you feel more misunderstood and hurt, and then you become an aristocrat in your exile. Like, I love to feel down and just frustrated and discouraged. And then you turn your anger on yourself and get more depressed. Listen to the childhood of an individualist. They often felt abandoned and unwanted by a parent or a caretaker. And they believe this was because there was something wrong with them or they just weren't quite good enough. Can you see how the wounds that we experience affect the stories that we tell ourselves? 
So the individuals tried to make themselves into a special person that would be noticed and not left behind. Maybe if I'm strong enough and I make enough of an emotional impact, then others won't leave me or abandon me. So if I'm the individualist, how do we remove the pattern of assumption? Well, here's a good one. Be aware that you probably have big emotional swings. Newsflash. And when you do, others will find it difficult to be around you. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're rejecting you. It's just hard to handle. And you tend to make others feel somewhat inadequate and that you need something from them. So here's some healthy attitudes. Maybe there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe others do understand me and are supporting me. And here's another one. Maybe I'm not the only one who feels this way. Let's talk about number five. The investigator. The investigator. You are driven by logic and straight thinking. More than emotions. Ha! I don't know why I'm saying that. Just making sure you're engaged. <laughs> Thanks for laughing, Megan. Appreciate it. Your value, you value wisdom, knowledge, and learning, and you enjoy searching, exploring, and delving things into the depths. You love how things were made on any television program. You have an uncanny ability to know what to do in certain circumstances. Let's look at your biblical counterpart, Luke the doctor and the writer of the book of Acts and Luke, a person of insight and wisdom and intelligence, but also Thomas, the disciple of Jesus who needed to see and understand before he could believe. So maybe some challenges you might face if you are an investigator. Under stress, you can remove yourself and retreat further into your head. Feeling inadequate and unable to influence the situation, so you withdraw and you rationalize and trivialize and, 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 and just to avoid being assertive and you get into planning instead of doing. Can anybody identify with this? You distract yourself or space out instead of focusing, deciding, and acting. Let's look at what your childhood could have been like if you are the investigator. They receive no meaningful interaction, emotion, or affection from caretakers or they had an intrusive and over-controlling parents and felt exposed and defenseless in the face of this intrusion. So to survive, they learned to keep their feelings and thoughts to themselves. The intellectual world became more controllable and secure than the world of feelings and the interpersonal world. Let me just withdraw to my thinking. So how do we remove the pattern of assumption if this is you? Well, number one, be aware your tendency is to limit your emotional involvement by detaching from your feelings and withdrawing from others. The emotion thing kind of freaks you out. So do what you can to feel what is happening and not just simply think of what is happening. You're tracking with me today. Here's some healthy attitudes. Thanks, Megan. Nobody else. <laughs> Maybe I can trust the people around me and let them know what I need and feel. Maybe I can live happily in the world as it is right now. And here's another good one right here. My future will be okay. My future will be okay. Number six, the loyalist. The loyalist. 
You value loyalty and desire to be a faithful, responsible person. That just sounds amazing. You keep your word and honor your commitments. You're highly reliable and dependable, often committed to traditional beliefs. You're identified often as the guardian of truth and sometimes the doubters. Your biblical counterpart is Ruth or Peter. You you care deeply about the people and the places that you're called to, but let's talk about the challenges that you might face if you're a loyalist. Under stress, you trust yourself less, and you become a little bit more worrisome and indecisive. You, You might even become more dogmatic and orthodox to resolve your doubts or become more suspicious of others and more rebellious against authority. Take, one, take on more projects or get busy and run around instead of dealing with your inner fears. Your childhood may have looked like where caretakers or parents didn't really wield their authority well and they may have been abusive or perhaps authoritarian or absent or maybe overly protective or inconsistent. But here's what happened. You learned that the world was dangerous and unreliable. So you developed a wary, ambivalent attitude towards authority figures. It's a strange dichotomy. Either you wanted to get authority on your side to protect protect yourself, or, or you needed to oppose authority to protect yourself. But either way, a fearful mind developed to help ward off a sense of danger, protecting them from being caught off guard, listen, or betrayed. A loyalist, how do, how do we remove the pattern of assumption. Well, you tend to be anxious, listen, don't get mad at me, and fearful about things that really don't matter or may not even exist. Let that sink in for a moment. It may not even exist. So don't project and pay attention. This is good. This is really good for some of you. (laughs) Pay attention to the amount of energy that goes into your worst case scenario. Listen to the laughter happening right now. (laughs) Here's some healthy attitudes. Maybe this will work out fine. Maybe I don't need to foresee every possible problem. I was meeting with some of my connect group yesterday and a couple of the guys in my group are sixes and they told me how they literally planned out where they were gonna turn into at the kaleidoscope and where to park and what it was gonna look like. That was Friday, not yesterday. And I was like, are you kidding me? They're like, yeah, every day, everywhere I go. I was like, dang, I need to get on your level, bro. (laughs) Here's another one. Maybe I can trust myself and my own judgments. You ready for number seven? This is the party one. Megan, why are you ready? It's so strange. (laughs) This is the enthusiast. Everyone say the enthusiast. You're energetic and lively in the life of the party, and your name is Megan Robinson. You're an encourager, and you love to include others because smiling is my favorite. You want excitement and to taste and experience all the possibilities that life has to offer and you have an ability to make everything come alive with your energy. I'm exhausted right now. You routinely find the silver lining in every situation. You are captured by life's wonder and awe. What was the name of She Collective this past? Interesting. Much like a little child. Who is your biblical counterpart? Barnabas the encourager and King Solomon. And all the enthusiasts are bored with your biblical counterparts. You're very frustrated. It wasn't Mary or David or Jesus. So here's some of the challenges that you might face. You are committed to avoiding anxiety and pain at any cost. 
And if confronted with pain, you'll, offer, you'll often make jokes or mess around to distract yourself from the pain that is actually obvious. In efforts to avoid pain, you can uh, prove to be very fickle and, and fearing commitment of any kind, kind of wishy-washy, because I'm not sure if I'm ready to accept that. And you might try to avoid work or distract yourself in an attempt to lighten things up. Let's look at maybe what your childhood could have been like. Maybe you were deprived of nurturing or it was too soon removed. Too soon. They had to handle this in searching for distractions and to minimize and repress fear and pain. So they decided to focus on positive options and rely on yourself. All of this to fulfill the desire to gain a sense of nurturance. So how do we remove the patterns of assumption if we're an enthusiast? Well, pay attention to how easily you are distracted when facing something painful. Can you see how these wounds play a profound impact in the stories that we tell ourselves? If you're an enthusiast, remember, not everyone is going to have your same high level of enthusiasm for life. Probably most no one will. <laughs> Here's a healthy attitude. This is great. Maybe what I already have is enough. Maybe it's enough. Maybe there's nowhere else I need to be right now. And maybe I'm not missing out on anything worthwhile. Ready for number eight? The challenger. They impress us as strong and powerful. I think the description says very charming and good looking, great communicators, killer shoe game. Your presence exudes a sense of strength and domination. You're often intense and dynamic, so strange. You desire to be a strong, independent, independent, assertive person, straightforward, who uses your strength and influence to make the world a more just place to live. Whew, feels good. <laughs> Your biblical counterpart, like John the Baptist, you are unafraid of standing up to others for the sake of a greater cause. Also, Miriam, the sister of Moses, is a great example. Let's look at the challenges of a challenger. You experience life as basically hostile and threatening. That makes sense to me. I don't even know why that's a problem. <laughs> so the best thing to do is attack it. Under stress, you try to be tougher more aggressive, and more in control. And if that doesn't work, you may turn your power inward. You beat up on yourself. You get depressed, and you withdraw. Guys, this is literally telling you who I am as a person. And so just understanding this, it reveals so much in the interactions that I have with my enthusiast number seven wife. Are you tracking with me? It's easy to be married to her. She's a piece of cake. Listen to this other description of an eight. You can hardly contain yourself when someone is trying to fix something. You break in with, here, just let me do it. Anybody else feel that way? Thank you, eights. All the eights like, thank you. Here's what a challenger's childhood could have been like. These children often grew up in an unsafe environment, maybe emotionally or physical. But here's the thing. You had to mature way too soon. Way too soon. I can remember a moment when my father came to me. We didn't have options. I was 14. He said, son, I'll do everything I can to put a roof over your head and food in your mouth. And if you want anything other than hand-me-down clothes or hanging at the house, you're going to have to get a J-O-B. And I've been working almost full-time since then. 
And I was telling my wife, there was a moment that happened for me in that moment where I realized I may not need my family anymore. A wound developed right then. And this defense mechanism kicks in. Are you tracking with me today? I'm just pulling back the curtain of vulnerability. Our wiring and our wounds have a profound impact on the stories that we tell ourselves. For our challengers, they didn't feel safe to show any vulnerability. So me just telling you that story was challenging. And they may have felt controlled. Weakness was used against them. So they focused in only on building their strengths. So how do you remove the pattern of assumption if you're an eight in here? Well, first of all, me and you can hang out later and we'll tell everybody else what their woes are. (laughs) But listen, recognize that the strength of your personality can be very overwhelming to other people. Your two is a 10 to everyone else. When you think you're just barely intense, people are cowering and rocking in the fetal position. (laughs) Why are you laughing at my pain? Be open. Listen, this is really hard. I don't even want to read it right now. Be open and willing to listen to the other side of the story. It sounds like rubbish, but it's probably good advice. (laughs) You can learn from others without losing yourself. Here's some healthy attitudes. Maybe this person isn't out to take advantage of me. That's also foolish. (laughs) Maybe I can let my guard down just a little bit more. And maybe I could be a little more vulnerable. You track with me today? Last one, number nine. Y'all are doing really good. You're listening really well. (laughs) Number nine. Maybe, no, sorry, number nine is the peacemaker. The peacemaker. You like being peaceful, calm, and ordered, and, and, and prefer to go with the flow. You have the gift of making others feel understood. An intuitive sense and appreciation for harmony in relationships. This is who, if you've ever met Chris Upton, this is Chris Upton. The biblical counterpart of the peacemaker is the Apostle John. You care about helping others reconcile with God and with others. But here is your challenge if you're a peacemaker. You avoid conflict with others, and you tend to avoid it with yourself as well. You'll even accept unacceptable conduct by others just to avoid conflict. You put off doing what needs to be done, engaging yourself with inconsequential activities, daydreaming, and maybe even just sleep. And if that doesn't work, you may become obsessive and compulsive about the work you are doing. As a child, maybe you were overlooked or neglected, or you felt unimportant or lost, and you were ignored or maybe even attacked for having needs or expressing yourself, especially anger, and you decided to keep a low profile instead of focusing on the needs and experience, and, and, and instead focus on the needs and experiences of others. Instead of actually feeling the pain, you numbed out, and you learned not to let things get to you you assume this laissez-faire attitude. So how do we remove the pattern of assumption if you're a peacemaker? Well, listen, stay present. Be right here in this moment and use the gifts that God's given you to bring about harmony and resolution even when you find yourself in conflict. Listen, this is important. If you're a peacemaker, you cannot let everything slide. You must be willing to be engaged 
to stay engaged in the trouble and the struggle of your experiences. You can't just moonwalk out. Here's some healthy attitudes. Maybe I can make a difference. Maybe I can. Maybe I need to get energized and and be involved. Maybe I'm more powerful than I realize. Nine different types. I promise you, you fit into one of them. And we just scratched the surface and there's so much more available to learn and grow in. But I just want to take a few moments, our, our last remaining minutes together today. I want to lean into something. I want to give you a couple of thoughts to think about. My my hope today was not to tell you how to fix everything. But my hope today was to just pull back the curtain so that everyone seated in this room can go, that might be me. And when I face conflict in the relationships that I'm in, I may be allowing my wounds to dominate the story that I tell myself. So again, not to say, here's how not to argue, but to go, oh, this is now becoming something that I'm allowing to have a profound impact on who I am. And I've got to make a shift. So what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? Well, first of all, we need to keep exploring our wounds and our wiring. But here's the number one thing. I want you to learn your wiring, your personality. You need to learn that. Knowing your design, the way that God designed you uniquely is like having a map to a secret treasure. In fact, that's one of the things we want to help you with. Today, after second service, in our next steps, we unpack your life and put some tools in your tool belt so that you can identify the way that God has designed you. Listen, we would say this, that your design reveals your destiny. But not only, everybody look right here, it's just a band, they're coming up here on stage. Not only, everybody's like, what's happening? I can see everything in this room. Not only do you need to know your own design, you also need to know the designs of people in your world. Why? Because it helps us understand why we do what it is that we do. The second thing we need to do is heal our wounds. Heal our wounds, not suppress not ignore, but heal. And listen, in order to do that, a wound has to be opened before it can be healed. And that's painful. And let me just encourage you with something. You're not strong enough on your own to do this. You need people. That's why we do connect groups. Because you need people in your world that can help identify your blind spots. You need people in your world that can comfort you when you're walking through the challenges of identifying the fact that maybe you had to grow up too soon. Or maybe you had parents that weren't there the way that they could have been or should have been. Maybe you learned and adapted to some walks and things in life and therefore it's affecting the way that you're interacting with people today. You need people. We're not strong enough to do this on our own. No, Pastor Kerry, you say that all the time. Yeah, but the only people that get frustrated with me saying that are people who don't have people in their world. Once you find the right people, you're like, yeah. You do need people. We've we got to learn our wiring, but we've got to heal our wounds. Listen, if your past is still impacting your today, it's not your past, it's your present. And you don't have to let it dominate. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it's doable. For me to get up here and tell the story to you that I just did was not easy. 
but it pulls back the curtain to realize I'm, I don't like to be vulnerable. I want you to think I'm strong. And unfortunately, that surface is in conflict. And right now, I don't even realize it, but I'm inflicting wounds on those that are closest to me and love me. But if I identify that in me, I can begin to make adjustments. Are you tracking with me? Learn your wiring. Heal your wounds. And number three, surrender your worldview. Surrender your worldview. The greatest thing that you can do is make Jesus the central theme of your life. Not an accessory. Not a component. Not a Sunday. But a central theme in your life. If you don't know where to start with that, during first service every Sunday, we have a connect group called Alpha. And it is the best place for you to dive in. Even if you're here and you're saying, I don't even know if I believe in this Christianity thing. Great, that's a good place to start. Why? So that Jesus can become a part of who you are and not just something that you think about. Because not only do you need people to help heal your wounds, you need Jesus to put the pieces back together again. You don't have to be perfect. And you actually don't even have to improve. But you want to. I mean, Jesus loves you exactly as you are. He died for you exactly as you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. All of us in this room have a next step to take. None of us have arrived, and you don't want to stay there. Here's my hope and my prayer for you. My hope is that you and I can sever our ties with our past so that they stop affecting our present which opens doors to our future. To sever ties with our past so we stop affecting our present and open some doors to our future. How many of you would say, you know what, I've got some work to do so I can stop painting pictures of assumption. Wow, me too. Can I pray for us today? God, I just thank you for those of us that are here just exploring how you've created us and our wiring, but also learning the wounds which have impacted and, and, and played a profound impact in the way that we tell ourselves stories. So God, I pray that as we're vulnerable and opening our heart to you, that you would lean in and help us to see the blind spots and the areas where we're allowing our past to actually affect our present. I pray to help us to bring the right people into our world so that we can stay committed to what you called us to do, but also work on the stuff on the inside. So we lean into you right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. With a few remaining moments that we have together, I just want to talk to those of you who aren't sure where you stand when it comes to faith. There's a starting line for this thing called Christianity, and it's not church membership but it's actually beginning a relationship with Jesus. And some of you actually haven't crossed that threshold. I don't want to embarrass you, but in a moment I want to pray a prayer and I want to invite you in the quietness of your own heart to join me in this prayer and begin this journey with Jesus. Pastor Kerry, you don't understand. I, I've got so many things in my life that are uh, problems and jacked up and I'm not perfect and it's okay. 
Jesus loves you exactly as you are. The way that you walked in today. And he's just saying, man, I've got more for you, but just start the journey. And there's some of you in this room who have been running from God. You've been playing with your faith, playing with your destiny. And today is the day to come running back to him. If you fit either of those categories, in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And right where you're seated, I want to challenge you to pray this prayer with me. And begin this journey with Jesus. Would you do me a favor, bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Nobody moving. If that's you and you've never prayed this prayer or today's the day to pray it again for the first time in a long time, in the quietness of your own heart or in a small whisper, would you just say these simple words after me? Just say, dear God, I know that you love me and you've given me purpose. I'm not perfect. Would you forgive me? And then just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus... I give you my life in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.